podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Double Century on the 99.94 Podcast Network. A batter is standing mid-wicket, metres out of his ground. He's wearing a cravat and looking back over his shoulder at the wicketkeeper. It is a hilarious photo because it doesn't look like the man's been bowled or stumped. It appears like he's got lost. And he's not in fact batting in a first-class match, but just on a stroll. And if you look closer at the picture itself, you'll see that Les Ames is keeping. The first great keeper batter. Titch Freeman is bowling, who took 3,776 first-class wickets. The quality on show for this game was exceptional. Except the batter. He looked like he was attempting a single before the ball had even been delivered. And we could see it's only just hit the stumps. We could tell that because the bail is actually still moving. And yet, the batter is in the least athletic position possible. This is a man who has walked into a room and forgotten why he went there. Not an international athlete. And why was he there? Well, for the same reason he once travelled to England to sign up the best players. He had a lot of money. And sure, we laugh at the gall of some owners today. But the Maharaj Kuma, or the younger prince of Vizayar Nagaram, well, he had them all beat. He bought and bribed players. And when that wasn't enough, he paid for his chance to captain the Indian cricket teams. He knew he'd never become king. So he moved away from the state and he set up a base in his family estate in Banaras. And so in 1930, before India had even played a test, he was buying the best cricketers for his team. They call him Vizzy. And he loves cricket. He just happens to be a really poor cricketer, so he cannot make it to the top sides on merit. But he is filthy rich, and so he can bribe the opposition bowler to give him some full tosses. And he can buy an entire cricket team and put top cricketers on his payroll. Then he can go on to lead those sides if he wants. There are rumours that he once even tried to get Don Bradman to play for his personal team. Unfortunately for him, he failed. So he went out to get Jack Hobbs and Herbert Sutcliffe, a pair greater than the sum of its own parts. Hobbs had said no to Indian tours before, and Sutcliffe was wary of the ongoing political turmoil in India. But Vizzy's persistence and money wears them down. His team also had an Indian superstar, C.K. Naidu. Less than two years later, C.K. would become India's first test captain. And there were four other future Indian test cricketers there as well. D.B. Deodar had played first-class cricket before the wars and would play after, and so was Ed Kalat, who would become the first to lead an all-Ceylon cricket team. Vizzy side goes on a tour of India and Ceylon, and they win the first three editions of the Moanadulla Gold Cup tournament. By then, Vizzy had changed the name of his team to Freelooters, which is something. They were a solid team in the fourth season as well. Six Indian test cricketers, Parson President and Leary Constantine but they somehow managed to lose in the final to a team called the Retrievers. But this side was owned by Bhupinder Singh, the Maharaj of Patyala. It had 10 Indians who had played test cricket and a Victorian leg spinner called Warren. Frank, not Shane. Unsurprisingly, there were controversies as well. Vizzy had apparently offered Lala Amanath of the Retrievers 10,000 rupees to miss the match. Amanath refused. Patyala had paid Amar Singh, Lataramji, and Sarabji Kola to miss the match. Although, these are probably rumours. But the hype was tremendous. A massive crowd shows up to watch the two top privately owned teams clash in the final of the Indian 
first high-profile franchise tournament. Yeah, franchises have been around for a little bit longer than you thought. It is also the inaugural season of the Ranji Trophy, and you're not going to be surprised, but Pete Yala and Vizzy also have a stake there as well. This season is about rich people who decided that they would make cricket better, or more about them, sometimes both. Maybe they wanted to profit from it, or just insert themselves into an 11 they had no right to be in. But they had the money, and cricket was purchased by them for their own wants and needs. Welcome to the people who bought cricket. This episode is about the Indian princes, Vizi and Paityala. Their money, power and ambitions determined the course of Indian cricket before independence, particularly in the 1930s. The Parsis were the first to play serious cricket in India, but in the 19th century, cricket was not close to the working class Indians. There were gifted players, but there was no professional cricket. They needed patrons. The Indian royalty had that money. They also wanted to rise through the ranks of society and be treated by the British as equals. They realised that they could get access to the upper echelons of British society by playing cricket, the great British pastime. So the sport was incredibly important to them. And you could see why. Ranji had faced racism in England, but cricket had also granted him access to the amateurs' dressing rooms, gates and other facilities. Cricket allowed him privileges that even the professional British cricketers would deny. And this is when India was under British rule. And some of them, like Vizzy and Pechula, even recruited those British cricketers. And there was some quality out there. The early heroes of Indian cricket were Ranji and Dilip and Patudi. These were proper players. And there were plenty of others who were capable as well. And there were some that were really bad or actually embarrassing. For example... The Maharaja of Kashmir owned a world-class venue at his property. He would arrive at about three o'clock in the afternoon and smoke the hookah. At half past four, he would want to bat. It didn't actually matter whose innings it was. The attendants would pad him and glove him, and another attendant would carry his bat out to the pitch for him. And then he would bat until he got bored. But as long as he was there, every dismissal was recorded as a no ball, and the scorers would make sure that he always got to 50. But the Maharaja was so rich that no one complained about him ruining cricket as long as he paid everyone else handsomely. He was also not the only monarch invested in cricket. The template was the same. They would spend their infinite wealth to maintain world-class venues and hire the best cricketers in the country. But no royal family was as important to Indian cricket as Paitiala and Vizis. They were not merely among the most generous and enterprising of the royal families. They also had a burning desire to rule Indian cricket. And in Vizzy's case, he even wanted to captain the Indian test side. The legacy begins with Rajinja Singh, the Maharaj of Paitiala. He owned a cricket team in the 19th century. And in a match against Kolkata Rangers in 1898-99, Paitiala's side had seven Indians and four English cricketers, Ranji, Hearn, Brockwell and Priestley but it would be Bupinder Singh who succeeded his father to the throne. He was a debauched sex maniac. I should point out that this was Abhishek's line, not mine, but I'm all on board with this. And he would inherit his father's deep cricketing ambitions. In 1911, he financed the first all-India team to tour England. He obviously led that side. Captaincy was not merely an obvious outcome of patronage. With the royalty back then, it was often the only goal. The first really strong team to tour India in 1926-27 Paitiala funded this MCC side led by Arthur Gilligan. He then led his personal side against the MCC. Again, there were four overseas cricketers, Wilfred Rhodes, Maurice Leyland, Frank Tarrant, and Arthur Dolphin. 
But not only that, during that tour, he actually played for the MCC against five different Indian teams. That is like an Indian playing for a touring England side in India. What makes it even more surreal is that at that point, India was under British rule. Apparently, money can take you places. Hitendra Narayan was the brother of the Maharaj of Kuch Behar. Back in 1909, Somerset was short on cash, and they picked him though he was an ordinary cricketer simply because they didn't have to pay him. In Pachala's case, he was funding the entire tour. During that same tour, Naidu and Diodar impressed MCC captain Gilligan so much that he had a word with Pachala and other important people in Indian cricket, and the BCCI was founded as a result. Until now, Pachala had been unchallenged in Indian cricket. That's when Vizzy arrives. The first Marquess of Willingdon was appointed the Viceroy of India. He had a keen interest in cricket, and he had played for Cambridge and Sussex, and also in India. At this point, India were preparing for the 1932 tour, where they would play their first ever test. They needed a member of the royalty to lead them, but Ranji and Dilip both refused. Three commoners, LPJ, Vijay Merchant, and Champak Mehta, also did not travel. But that was the protest against Gandhi's arrest by Willingdon. Pechiala and Vizi both saw an opportunity. Vizi took the initial lead by offering to fund the tour, but Pechiala trumped him. He organised the tour trials in his kingdom and hosted every potential candidate for a full month. There are few experiences that can beat being hosted by a Maharaja. Vizi fell behind, and Pechiala was the obvious candidate to lead, but he pulled out, and the Maharaja of Porbanda became the captain instead. The vice-captain was Kumar Shri of Limdi, which was uh, Porbanda's brother-in-law. Pechala's employee, Jadinka Singh, was also included. Vizi had spent money too, so they made him the deputy vice-captain. He opted out. Porbanda got two first-class runs on the tour, but also received three Rolls Royces. He was a very poor cricketer, and so was Limdi. But they were aware of their abilities, so that they skipped most of the matches, allowing Naidu to lead. And that is why CK Naidu became India's first test captain. When Ranji passed away in 1933, Pechala succeeded him as the Chancellor of the Chamber of Princes. By now, his son, Yadavindra Singh, or Yuvraj, the Crown Prince of Pechala, had emerged as a fairly decent cricketer himself. Pechala seemed to hold every card, but being on Willingdon's wrong side did not help his cause. The BCCI snubbed Pechala when England toured India next for three test matches, though his son did actually play a match. To make up for lost ground, Pechala came up with a plan. He donated a golden cup worth £500 for a new interstate tournament. This he decided to name after Ranji, the Ranji Trophy. Vizzy obviously had to oppose this. He came up with a counter-trophy. He named his after Willingdon. Not quite the cricketing legend than Ranji is. He even requested Lady Willingdon to design it. While Pechiala and Vizzy were at it, two rounds of the nameless interstate competition had been played, and by the time Bombay had been champions, it had been formally named the Ranji Trophy. The Bombay team then travelled to Delhi to receive it from Willingdon. To draw level, Vizzy organised a tournament in Delhi to honour the Silver Jubilee of King George V. Here, he led his own side to victory. Having donated the Willingdon Trophy some time ago, he now collected it from Willingdon. But the drama was far from over. In 1935-36, Pechala sponsored an Australian team to India. There were four unofficial tests, and these were seen as trials for India's 1936 tour of England. Dilip, Patudi, and H.T. Kanga were the original selectors, but Dilip became indisposed just before the series, and he was replaced by... Fizzy? <laughs> 
Patudi had already played three Ashes tests for England, and he was set to lead India on the 1936 tour. He was named captain of that first unofficial test in Bombay, but he ended up skipping the match. The Yuvraj of Pechala had led the Hindus in the Bombay Quadrangular a year before that, and he had been booed because the crowd did not like him being chosen ahead of Naidu or Diodar. Visi now pushed for the same Yuvraj as captain, with Naidu in the 11. Kanga, the only commoner in the selection committee, resigned. He had become tired of this royal interference. Patudi's father-in-law, the Nawab of Bhopal, filled in. India lost easily, and Yuvraj did not inspire. The Australians next played the United Providences, where Vizzi top-scored with 40, which might have been the most important and best innings of his entire life. His team held the Australians to a draw. Patudi missed the Calcutta Test match as well, and Naidu was named captain. India lost this inside two days. Waza Ali then led India in Lahore, because India was still one country at that point, and Naidu decided to skip that Test match. Waza got 72 and 92, and India won, Naidu, the captain, virtually fell out of contention. Vizzi then made sure of that. Suddenly, the press seemed to be very keen to demonstrate how Naidu wasn't the best person to lead. Under Wazir, India had won the Madras test as well, but Wazir was never a candidate to begin with. Vizzi's rivals had disappeared one by one. The final obstacle was removed when Patudi finally decided to opt out of the tour. He cited poor health, but some letters suggested that he might just have been fed up. Pete Yala, disgusted by this, withdrew his son's interest as captain. And this is when Vizzi proposed his own name. Naidu was his only rival. But Vizzi had done his homework and kind of everything he needed to do, and the BCCI committee voted 10 to 5 in his favour. And so Vizzi, the Indian captain, arrived in England with two servants and 36 items of luggage. There was no vice captain or selection committee because Vizzi was everything an autocrat at his worst. The team manager was Britton Jones, a man very close to Willingdon. The treasurer was Syed Mohammed Haidi of Hyderabad because the Hyderabad State Association had backed Vizzi. In England, Vizzi did pretty much whatever he wanted. He sent Amanath back halfway through the tour. When Vizzi saw Naidu gaining in popularity, Vizzi bribed his own followers. He even sponsored a Paris trip for them. Baka Jalani insulted Naidu at the breakfast table to win a test cap. And I'd love to tell you that everything went very poor for Fizzy, but he actually achieved his dream of being knighted on that tour. India were winning against Lancashire on the day of the ceremony, and Fizzy sent an SOS cable asking Muhammad Nisar to bowl full tosses. Now, Muhammad Nisar was probably one of the great early Indian fast bowlers, and yet here he was bowling full tosses on demand from Fizzy. Naidu took him off immediately, and India won the game. Later would be the Beaumont Committee that would suggest that Amanath should not have been sent home. Also, they concluded that Vizzi did not understand field placings or bowling changes and never maintained any regular batting order, and that the good players remained idle for weeks together. Yeah, you're going to be shocked to know that he never played for India again after that. He scored 33 runs in six test innings, playing as a specialist batter. In first-class cricket, he averaged 18.6, but this was after bribing a few bowlers to give him some full tosses. And Pechela's average was 17.37, so a little bit worse. The weird thing is that at various points, they actually really served Indian cricket as capable administrators. And perhaps Vizzi or Pechela would have been more celebrated if they had restricted themselves to being patrons in the way that Julian Khan or Kerry Packer did. But their blind ambition made them assume roles that they had no right to do. And so they live on in cricket history, not as patrons, but as 
utterly terrible cricketers. And in Vizzy's case, we may not have a lot of footage of him batting, but we do have that one haunting image of him. The rich man stuck mid-wicket between two of the greatest players of his era, embarrassing himself then and always. Double Century is a podcast on the 99.94 Network. You can download our app via the show notes or look for us on social media to see all the podcasts and audio we produce. If you prefer your podcast ad-free, you can support us on Patreon to get that version. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century on 99.94 is a podcast narrated, produced and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes and co-produces the show. Podcast Network.